Ari, one of the things that I've noticed, and I'm sure you've noticed throughout our ever-changing society, is that men are no longer the men that we think of them as, right? They, you know, you've heard this phrase, uh, being feminized and so on, and the women are not necessarily as, as feminine as they used to be. Uh, there's this kind of uh, approach toward each other so that there's becoming a blur. You don't know whether a woman is really as, as feminine as she uh, used to be and, and vice versa. So, and, and there's all sorts of reasons for that. There's cultural reasons and such like that. But one of the things that makes a man a man is this notion of conquest. Okay, now I know what you're thinking. The listener's thinking, oh, he's going to talk about how a man has to conquer uh, a woman and or maybe, maybe several women for that matter, but I'm not talking about that. Um, in each man is a sense of conquest. We are built with it. We have to conquer. And like anything else, there is the notion of conquering uh, your fear. There is the notion of conquering um, your anger. You're conquering your uh, libido, conquering alcoholism. These, these are the real conquests out there that men have to go through. And women have to go through their own different things that they have to conquer, but it's, it's, it's just different for a man. And most of it is about conquering fear. Now, conquering can be in the same way that, Ari, that, you know, the left, they have this God impulse. And when they reject God, well, they, it's like whack-a-mole. It has to show up somewhere else, right? So they make a God out of environmentalism. They make a God out of, of government. They make a God out of, uh, you know, sex for that matter. It, it, a whole bunch of things. So it gets misdirected. And likewise, this notion of conquest gets misdirected too. So a man's need to conquer can easily be misdirected, just like I talked about, about God, the, the God impulse being misdirected. So how could it be misdirected? Uh, one example is that you seek to conquer women, right? You say, this guy has uh, 10, 20 women, and every day he comes back, or every week he comes back with yet another story of a woman that he slept with. Okay, that's, that's his conquest. It's a misdirected conquest. It's not where he should be going. If you and I, listening to this schmuck, would say, okay, this guy, he's a schmuck. You know, this is not where, where you should be uh, devoting all your energies. What are you really, what, what does a man really do in conquering? What does that mean? Uh, another way to misdirect conquering is uh, to subjugate people. Uh, yeah, if you're a leader and somehow you're, uh, you're going to conquer a, a nation and such like that, that's the conquest that is not healthy. Or you're a member of a gang and you want to make sure that <clears throat> your entire gang does whatever you do and you bully them to the point of submission. Uh, or you, if you don't have a gang, maybe you would decide that the best way to conquer is to humiliate people. This is, this is a very common thing. I mean, I think this resonates to a lot of people. What is the real, what's the healthy conquest? The ultimate healthy conquest, of course, is conquering yourself your impulses that I talked about before, whether it's sexual, whether it's an addiction of some kind, uh, whether it's anger. <clears throat> um, for me, the biggest conquest, and I think that resonates for a lot of men, is fear. Um, doing something that you know is, is hard, challenging, and damn frightful, whatever that might be. Conquering evil with being the ultimate goal. 
So I'll, I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. When I was a little boy, uh, I think I was eight or nine. It's funny now, it says he's, uh, that's the same age as my youngest son is. So I, I, I can only help but resonate with him on this. I was on some team and <clears throat> I was in line to get, I was constantly bullied in that, in that team. I was the youngest, one of the youngest in the team. Most of the boys were 10 and 11. I was eight or nine. And I was not yet a very tall kid. And now I'm six feet tall, but I, I never, you know, suddenly had that spurt. <clears throat> so I was kind of short in every respect. And they would just pick on me. And it was awful. Every day. And I wouldn't tell my mom. I just had these butterflies in my stomach. I just thought that's the way it is. You know, you go to some team and, you know, boys pick on you. And I just have to deal with it. And I never told my mom or my dad about it. I felt that this is something I had to deal with myself and actually respect myself for doing that. One day we were in line to get into our lanes to, to swim, freestyle or whatever. And we were all in lines. And, and so there was a boy in the line to my left and there was another boy to the line on the right. And there's a boy in front of me in my line and the boy behind me, northeast, west and south, so to speak. And they were all picking on me. And they were flicking my hair and kind of pushing me. And, you know, it's like, like you've seen this in many movies before. And I snapped. And I just turned to one of them. I just decided to choose one of them. It happened to be the biggest one. And I just started flailing my arms, just punching him senselessly into his chest. And I hit him so hard, I didn't realize. And he slipped. And he fell on his butt. And he started like writhing in pain. And then suddenly my body was over his body as if I had, you know, and, and actually did, my, the punch was strong enough to, to have him land on the ground. But I was so angry, but I was so emboldened. I had so much energy. And I went over him and I said, anything more? <clears throat> and I said, who's next? And that was it. From then on, those boys left me alone. I was, I was positively shocked how quickly things turned. Obviously, I was very happy about it. But not only did those boys want to be my best friend, but everyone on the swim team. Not only did they leave me alone, but they gave me such respect. I never forgot that. Everyone has to go through that moment. Something like that has to happen. A boy should experience that. And when they do, they're on the way to manhood. But I, I, every time I feel myself being afraid, I hearken back to that moment. And I just have to bark back. And it works. It really works. That's conquering. That's the conquering of fear. Now, you see this, by the way, in many movies. You see it in uh, one of my favorite movies, uh, Star Wars, uh, it's particularly the uh, movie The Empire Strikes Back. You remember the scenario where Luke Skywalker is on the planet, uh, whatever, Dojo or something, D Dagobah or something like that. And Dagobah? It, what's that? Dagobah? Dagobah, yeah. And it's the first time he's meeting Yoda. Remember, the scene is very wet, right? And it's a lot of vines and everything else. And you had this very strong sense of humidity in the air. And 
not only that, but the ship is actually drowned in the water and everything else. And then he's told that his final uh, test is to go into the cave and face his greatest fear. It goes into a cave, okay? This is very Jungian. I don't want to get too much into it. The point is, you see Luke Skywalker going into the cave, and he says, what, what, what can I expect? And Yoda says, only that which, which you bring with you, meaning his fear. And, of course, he goes in there, and he sees Darth Vader. Now, it's not the real Darth Vader. It's, it's, it's his imagination, of course, but to him it's real. And he chops off the head of this Darth Vader. And when he actually sees it, he sees that it's his own face in it. He's conquering this fear. That was a powerful moment in the movie. I loved it. So uh, tremendously Jungian, tremendously uh, evocative of, of power and fear and conquest. But it's all about yourself, right? We are the greatest enemy to ourselves. And... Too much of what we are dealing with culturally is, is an attack to conquer things that have nothing to do with ourselves. It's about saving the planet, uh, you know, making sure that transgender people don't feel uncomfortable and um, making uh, women feel comfortable and, and never saying anything uh, inappropriate and such. It has nothing to do with yourself. Instead, it's about breaking down standards. Uh, whether that's about uh, drug enforcement or otherwise, uh, and the voting laws and everything else. And there's so little discussion about conquering yourself. If anything, it's the opposite. Whatever your predilection is, uh, go for it. You know, just do it, so to speak, but not the same way that Nike originally meant it. Just do it. And if you don't do it, well, then you're repressed, right? In the sexual arena or otherwise. But you know what? Life is about repression. One way or the other, it's, it is about repression, isn't it? You have to repress yourself. I always think that it's fascinating when people talk about the gay world and such. And again, I, I'm not interested in, in um, <clears throat> judging anyone for their sexual desires. I, I get it. But I don't accept this notion that the answer is that somehow it's about repression and you, you need to give in to your sexual desires. That doesn't mean anything to me. A child molester, you know, has sexual desires too, but, but damn it, I want him to repress his desires, right? An alcoholic has a raging desire for alcohol, but I want him and, and presumably he wants himself to repress his alcoholism. Right? Likewise with drug, likewise with uh, sexual addicts, likewise with gambling and so on. I, I don't want to give in to my, my predilections, especially when I know they're destructive to me. Fear is the greatest predilection that you want to repress. Stop it. Don't be afraid. Fear is truly an enemy. I, I, it, is, it is a great thing that that Roosevelt said that we have nothing to fear but fear itself. Fear is the greatest enemy. And we do it to ourselves. We need to stop repressing ourselves. And I'm sorry, sorry, we, we need to repress ourselves rather uh, in terms of our fear. That's the only way to conquer fear. 
if, if you're just naturally born without fear, well, then are you really brave for doing great things? The, the reason why we admire people like George Washington and Abraham Lincoln and Donald Trump and all the greats of Winston Churchill and otherwise is because they had to deal with tremendous fear and they said, I don't care. Damn the torpedoes, full steam ahead. These are the ones that we, we that, that never repressed themselves, sorry, that, that did repress themselves, conquered their fear in that way. Anyway, so we see many examples of fear creeping in. I, I would say creeping in, it's because it sounds like a nice thing to say, but I, I should say it's actually flooding in, in the sense that uh, fear is everywhere. It's all about fear at this point in our culture, right? You, you, um, you can't speak about uh, COVID without also speaking about fear. The COVID uh, pandemic was such that people just cowered. It was a very bizarre thing. I wrote an article about this, and you'll recall about how it was, uh, they, they proclaimed people that stayed at home, they were suddenly heroes. They were fighting a war, and they were the war, you know, the war against COVID, this yeah, virus. The warriors at home. You said at the very beginning, we're in a war against this virus. In a war, we is about sacrifice and loss, and you fight in the battlefield, and you might lose some people. You don't take the attitude, oh, we're in war, but we're not going to lose a single person. It's like when Obama said, um, I will not rest until uh, every person has the job they want, or no child is going to go hungry. You know, even yeah. if they did. Yeah, it's one of those things. It's it, the way I put it in the article is that um, in World War II, we sacrificed lives for the sake of civilization. These days, we are sacrificing civilization for the sake of lives. Yeah. And that's not, it's the opposite of war. That's right. the whole point. You know, what you could have said, I mean, like, likewise, look, we don't want to fight the Nazis because, you know, some people might die. Might Never mind our civilization, but somebody might get hurt. Yeah, and also Mark Stein made the brilliant point about September 11th. There's a reason for that. Just, okay. Uh, yeah, just, um, the, about September 11th, which is in the wake of September 11th, uh, we were told, go out and as business as normal. Uh, that we don't let the terrorists win. Remember? Yeah. September 11th happened, and we're told, go to the restaurant the next day. Take a vacation. Yeah, uh, the, the airlines are going to be shut down for a few weeks while we revamp the security protocols so people can't get onto a plane with a box cutter. But barring that, go about your life as normal. And with this was the opposite. No, 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 no. We, the virus will win if we continue life as normal. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so we're talking about fear and, and how it's not just crept in, but flooded in. It's now the modus operandi. It's the, it's the actual, the operating system of our civilization. How, how can we react in a way that is fearful? Uh, fear has taken over. Yeah, we are not, yeah, yeah, he's holding up a mask. Uh, we are not repressing our fear of this. The, the best way to ha have handled this is to repress our natural instinct to cower. Uh, and hide in our homes and such. It is, it is breathtaking. The, you know, it's been a year now since the... Two weeks to slow the spread, right? Yeah, to slow, well, the two, yeah exactly. Two weeks to, to slow the spread. And it's been a year. And uh, we now have enough, enough information where, uh, you know, our kids and our families, you know, we, we took off to go flying everywhere in the country this past year. Because I, I, the numbers didn't add up for me didn't make any sense. And I, I wasn't about to 
destroy my life and go into severe depression mode and let alone sacrifice my children for that or my wife um, because of the, the risk just didn't make sense to me. So uh, we went about our lives and we never got COVID. Uh, if we, maybe we did I, for, as far as I know, but it certainly didn't manifest in any dramatic way. Um, and I'm glad we did that. I mean, I'll look back now to the year, you know, 2020 and now 2021 and be very proud of the way we respond to this, yeah, right? Yeah, so, so Ari's wife, Feeney, is here with us today. And by the way, she's a hell of a lot prettier than Ari. <laughs> Liar. And, <laughs> and I, I got to say, why these two are together? Uh, well, it's another, you know what? That's subject for another podcast. But, but, but Feeney wants to say something about this. Oh, and also, like, a, you know how, you know, a dog is scared when it bites you? Mm-hmm. So we're getting that in our society, which can lead to mass hysteria, which can lead to very dangerous things. So fear in a society is bad. That's my thing. <laughs> it's bad. So fear, bad. You heard it first here from Feeney David. To Germany, for example. Yeah, of mass hysteria can be... Lead to it bad leads things. to aggression in the yeah, human. That's the, the point. Same like way a, it leads like to a scared dog, dog will bite so, you. So, you know, this, you know? this hysteria, I won't wear a mask out in public in the middle of nowhere. And then the mask wearers will do the equivalent of bite us. They'll come up and they'll literally scream at a stranger. And think of how Feeney makes this point. She says, look how psychotically dangerous that is. They don't know if we're nuts. We could stab this person in the neck. Yeah, and, that's, and exa- that's a great point. Consider that. Well, okay, so now let's, I don't want to get too far afield from this, but yes, I mean, look at the, it's, it's an operation of fear. Look, not only that, Ari, but people are afraid now in terms of the culture wars to speak their mind about how crazy, like, like what we're dealing right now. What if, what if a lefty hears this podcast and decides to try to cancel my law firm, my practice, whatever it might be, uh, to ostracize me? Um, you can't do that. that. That's where they win, right? I mean, just like me when I was a little kid, I must have, before that, that encounter that I described, I must have evoked some sort of sense of fear. I mean, the way I walked, the way I talked, somehow that these older boys picked on me. And only when I showed them that I, I, I could fight back, that's when everything changed. And the same thing is happening to us. We are walking and talking, even conservatives, in such a way, and I hear this from a lot of my friends, I don't want to, you know, I'm so afraid to say this because then these crazy lefties are saying this. So great. So these guys have very strongly held beliefs, uh, even pro-Trump beliefs, and they love America and everything else, but they're afraid to speak their mind because they might lose their job. They might, somebody might look askance at them. Look, by and large, the fear that you have that something like that might happen is overblown. I've no doubt that some people would like to push you off and to have you fired or whatever it is, but by and large, it's not going to happen. You hear stories anecdotally about this or that kid who gets expelled from the school because he says something positive about Trump or, or some uh, secretary at a, at a firm, a law firm or, or business, uh, you know, holding up, uh, announcing that she voted for Trump and then now all of a sudden she's fired. But that's, those are anecdotes for a reason. They are not the main event. So you are self-censoring. The more people speak up for themselves, the less of an issue this will be. Remember, there are very few people like this. 
just like the bullies in my swim team, there were only four to six of them, you know, maybe seven who were kind of active bullies in it. But the rest of the team, they weren't involved and and they didn't like it. But as soon as they saw me respond to these four bullies in particular, then the others who had been bullied suddenly got more emboldened and they were more proud to, to speak their minds as well. Everything changed. By the way, my coach, um, he had seen what was going on. And when I had popped that kid, I looked over at one point to see the coach and the coach was smiling. He was so happy. And he was exactly, you know, a man's man. Like he knew he, he, not to get involved. This is, you know, age appropriate. You know, I had to deal with myself. I had to figure it out myself. And I had, and the coach was thrilled. Absolutely thrilled. And so, and I really respect that. I don't know that that would happen today, but again, that's another story. But we live in a world of fear and self-censorship. We just have to break through. We have to break through ourselves at the end of the day. Understand that everything that you do, uh, if you really want to advance, it's you have to fight yourself. And that applies to having a good relationship with your spouse or your boyfriend, girlfriend. That applies to you making more money if you want to do better at work. You want to get that promotion. You have to conquer yourself. You have to do something extra. And it's getting out of, we call it getting out of your comfort zone, but I think it's much more than that. It's, it's about conquering yourself at the end of the day. Same thing with exercise. Uh, same thing with, with uh, faith in God. A lot of you out there, and I know since I'm in the business of, uh, you know, always having to, to seek out God and to prove God's existence. That's what I do, as you know. Um, but I, and I speak to so many people who say, I would love nothing more than to believe that there's a God out there. And I say to them, what's holding you back? Well, it just doesn't make sense to me. I just can't do it. I, you know, I wasn't raised that way. And I just say, so? You know, God is a, is a muscle like anything else. It's a language if you want. It's an exercise. It's, it's a food. It's, it's a, whatever you want. It's, you've got to go there and get outside of your comfort zone if you want to say that. But conquer your fear about, about God. And, and what is the fear about God? The fear about God is that if you open the door, you'll begin to realize that you've lived a horrible life without God. You thought you were accountable. You weren't. You thought you were an honest person. You weren't. <laughs> you thought you were a faithful husband or a wife. You weren't. You thought that you were not a gossipy person. You were a gossipy person. And so on down the line. And uh, you thought you, you weren't get, engaged in a sexual... Um, uh, what, 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 Improprieties. Improprieties and excess. But you were. You were, you know, that the, the, and when you open the door to God, you, it's, it's like you, you don't want it because it's as if you're asking the IRS to come audit you. <laughs> That's really what it is, right? You know, you've messed up in your business, whatever it is. And now by saying, okay, well, we're going to do an internal audit of you, Mr. Smith. Uh, that's really scary. If you've ever been audited by the IRS, you, you can feel that you understand what I mean. And that's what it's going to be like. But conquer that fear. Open, open the door to God. You'll see, first of all, that you can handle it. 
much more than you ever thought. I think, Ari and, and Fini, I think that most people don't believe in God because they're afraid to believe in God. How do you like that? Of course they are. I don't think it's a matter of intellectual difficulty. I think they're really afraid. Right, uh, because, I mean, once you... Uh, Fini made this great point yesterday about uh, belief in the devil. And we were talking about someone going, well, that person doesn't believe in the devil. But if they don't believe in the devil, then they don't believe in God. Because you have to believe in both. It, one does not exist without the other. Because if only God and only heaven exists, well, then where is there any sort of cosmic retribution for sin? Yeah. Where is there yeah. any price beyond this world for people who've sinned their whole life and gotten away with it their entire time? Yeah, absolutely. And also... Um uh, two things, but to your point, and you can see those people that um, don't believe in God, the older they get, the more scared of death they are. And the people that do believe in God are not as scared as de of death. Like right yeah. now, if I were to die tomorrow, I'm right with God. You yeah. know, I've come correct, as they say in the black community, like I'm okay. Right. You know, I'd miss everything, but I'm okay. But the people that don't are terrified because they never did that internal audit. And what if they're wrong? Pascal's wager or whatever, you know? It's yeah, like, yeah. And, and, you know, and that, it's and that like, opens up the broader point of, of the thesi of, of your work the last five or so years mm -hmm. about uh, atheism versus godliness, belief versus unbelief, <clears throat> and how that mass fear that we're seeing in the culture of this area is manifesting itself on the street. We are literally seeing people so terrified of death because they have no actual belief in anything beyond this world. Yeah. And, and, and that's it. And you can see, like you get to the point, I'm sure you're there, where you can almost just see someone walking down the street and you can tell whether they believe in God or not because there's a relaxation to the person that does. Yeah. And a confidence. There is something to that. Yes. And um, it's interesting nowadays, especially when we go walking in the streets because of the pe other people in the neighborhood who wear masks and so on like that. It's well, not that... Masks wear out in the open. Oh, oh, yeah, I understand, Ari. But I'm simply saying that um, you see these people, they're wearing masks, and it's not so much that Anybody who wears a mask is therefore somebody who doesn't believe in God. I'm not going there. I'm not saying that. Uh, I am saying, however, that when you say hello to people, especially people who wear a mask, and they are, you know, afraid to talk to you because, uh, you know, they, they're worried that if they open their mouths and say hi, then, then the virus might jump in, you know, just at that moment, even though you might be on the other side of the street. Uh, it's weird. That's, that person... I doubt believes in God. You know, we'll never know for sure, right? But I doubt it. Now, <clears throat> when I pass by somebody who's not wearing a mask, the, the other extreme uh, or the other, the opposite uh, picture, he's not wearing a mask. And I say, hey, buddy, how's it going? Uh, and he says, uh, awesome day. Have a good one. Have a good run. Because usually I'm running in the morning. I, I, I am almost certain that that guy loves God or has God in his life. Almost certain. Um, and, and it makes sense to me. He's got a smile, uh, an extra skip and a step. There's something about it. He's not afraid. He's laughing at the situation. Well, I'd go further and say that person is actually alive. They're living. They're okay. breathing. They're existing in a world as a uh, more functioning, more, right, you need to come a little closer more I can't. synthesized human being. Yeah. 
than the, the mask wearer. And again, we're referring not to people who are wearing masks inside stores because of some store requirements or even because it's indoors. That at least is in the area, uh, area of the range of common sense. We're, I'm talking people on the street, at, on the sidewalk, on a sunny day alone. No one's near them and the mask is up. All right, well, I wanna get back to the main point, uh, which is fear. And we, we talk a lot about fear, especially in the past year. Uh, uh, because there's so much of it going on. And then there's a global warming thing, of course. I think Feeney brought that up uh, during one of our breaks, um, that uh, people, the whole global warming thing is about fear. The world is going to end. we got to do something and, and, and so on. And they're brave for, for turning off the lights and for uh, existing in a, in a Neanderthal sort of way. I mean, it's, it's very bizarre. Whereas we think exactly the opposite, that the best way to pursue life is is to progress with an innovation and conquering yourself instead it's such a great example of global warming but covid is it's it's a very related cousin to the situation look i'll wrap it up with this um it is all about fear at the end of the day and you cannot have a conquering of fear unless you have god in your life to me every atheist is in some way afraid. They have to be. Fina, you talked about fear of death. I have not met a single atheist who was comfortable with the notion of dying. Not one. So that is a, a big problem. And if they don't conquer their notion of death, uh, then they will always be afraid. Always. The only way to accept death is to understand that there was a you before you came into this world and there will be a you, your spirit, your soul, after you die as well. And no matter how you look at it, it doesn't matter. You might as well make the most of your life right now. Ah, people just don't think these things through, Ari, I tell you. But the bottom line, people are really afraid of one thing. They are afraid of believing in God. That is the ultimate fear. And with that, I bid you adieu and say thanks for listening. And we'll talk with you next week. 